Well, just about a week ago, a very popular YouTube content creator released a video called A Thousand Blind People See for the First Time. Uh, if you're not familiar with YouTube, the slogan is Broadcast Yourself, and it's a social media platform in which you can make videos uh, to be viewed by others, and some people have gotten so good at them that they make a business out of it. And they do so by creating very catchy titles that make you want to click on them and watch the video, like this one. It just so happens that our sermon this morning happens to be about Jesus healing a blind person. And so I just couldn't resist, but watch this video. First, first video I've ever watched of this particular content creator uh, to see what was going on. What's, what's the deal here? Uh, I had heard about, you know, implants for deaf people to help them have the sensation of hearing, but I've not heard of any kind of version about this for blindness. Well, it turns out what he's talking about is uh, what he then referred to as curable blindness, and he's talking about men and women who are declared legally blind. And what that means is their eyes work, but there's basically a film clouding their eyesight, making their vision extremely blurry. And uh, this condition... Uh, basically prohibits them from doing basic functions in life. So there was a person there who just, they couldn't drive. They were totally dependent on others to get around. Uh, as you can imagine, that would be a major hindrance in life. Uh, there was another person who used to be a cashier for a long time, and over time, as his vision got worse and worse, he just couldn't even see the numbers on the bills, so he didn't know the correct change to give people. And so he couldn't work due to this condition. And basically... Uh, this uh, creator went around and was paying for a surgery that can be done that removes the uh, clouded film on the top of the eye and then inserts basically an artificial contact lens permanently that then corrects the vision and brings clarity to people's eyes. Uh, not everyone who is blind is uh, able to have that kind of surgery, but those who are or at least have been diagnosed with curable blindness, can. And so, you know, many of the people who were gifted this surgery, for them it was completely life-changing. They were then able to go about and function in society. They were able to uh, begin working again. Uh, it is really amazing what resources in the modern day can accomplish. Uh, with, if you have enough money to pay for expensive surgeries, uh, the science behind the surgery itself, for example, and the tools to actually follow through with it. Our story this morning includes none of those things. Uh, Jesus does not have uh, a ridiculous amount of wealth, uh, nor is the technology advanced enough to perform this kind of surgery, uh, nor are the tools even there. But what we read about is an instance in which Jesus heals someone who is blind with a word. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. And we're going to be looking at verses 46 through 52, which you can find on page 847 of the Bibles provided. Just to provide a, a bit of context of where we are in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you may remember that Jesus is journeying with his disciples, and they are going to the city of Jerusalem. And we know that the city of Jerusalem is basically the destination for his ministry. Uh, this is the place where he will be handed over, killed on the cross, and then rise again three days later. And he has actually made this clear to his disciples a number of times. 
and it just seems to go over their heads over and over and over again. And so each time Jesus has told them these things, uh, then they show how foolish they are, and then Jesus provides some kind of instruction about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this pattern of divine disclosure and discipleship has been going on basically since chapter 8, 29, all the way through to today's text. And today's passage is where this kind of divine disclosure and discipleship section ends. The irony, of course, is the disciples who have been the subjects of much of this divine revelation and teaching about discipleship have been poor examples repeatedly of disciples themselves. And what we read about in our text this morning is someone who could not see or hear any of the teachings of Jesus personally shows himself to be a better disciple than any of them. Let's read our text this morning. Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I have five points this morning that basically just work through the sequences of the story. Bartimaeus cries, Jesus stops, Bartimaeus comes, Jesus speaks, Bartimaeus commended. But the main idea, I think, for us looking at this text is that discipleship begins with a right understanding of who Jesus is and a recognition of our need for mercy. And it is followed by a wholehearted dependence on him. Discipleship begins with a right understanding of who Jesus is, a recognition of our need for mercy, and it is followed by a wholehearted dependence on him. That's a longer main idea than I typically have, and I'm sorry. This is the final stop of Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Jericho is the last city before we read of Jesus actually entering into Jerusalem. And uh, Jericho, if, if that sounds familiar, you're likely thinking about the old city from the book of Joshua uh, that was conquered. Well, this is basically the same city. It was rebuilt and continued to be inhabited. Uh, and it's just about a mile south of the historic old city Jericho. Uh, but this is Uh, now a new built-up city that they are traveling through. And it is a common road that many pilgrims would pass through on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Uh, So many have said that these crowds going along with Jesus 
are also pilgrims along the way ascending up to Jerusalem. And that ascent, by the way, is about 3,500 feet. So it is a climb. It's when uh, Jews would have been singing psalms of ascent, uh, like the ones we have in the book of Psalms. It's Psalms 120 through 134, uh, if you ever notice the superscript above them. And I think that there likely are pilgrims among them, but I'm convinced that more than just pilgrims, these are people who are specifically following Jesus. And the reason I I say that is threefold. First, Mark through his gospel, has repeatedly used crowds and the responses of crowds to emphasize Jesus' dynamic influence and extraordinary ministry. Uh, Secondly, the crowd appears to listen to him, or at least some people in the crowd listen to him, uh, when they tell them to retrieve Bartimaeus in verse 49. And then thirdly, if you continue reading into chapter 11, uh, you'll see what the crowd does when Jesus does enter into Jerusalem. Uh, they, they worship him. They give him a, a kingly procession as he enters. And so I think these are people who have great anticipation about who Jesus is and Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem, and so they're following him. And this is when we meet Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is an amazing individual. Uh, this is a short story, but there's a lot of really interesting things about Bartimaeus. Uh, first, he's named. And while that might seem like a small detail, you might be interested to know that Bartimaeus is actually the only subject in the entire book that is healed that is named. Uh, So we've read about family members, like say Peter's mother-in-law is healed from her fever, or Jairus' daughter, but this is the only person who is healed who is actually named. Uh, His name, Bartimaeus, it just means son of Timaeus, and as Mark explains, Bar just meant son. So uh, think about when Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ in Matthew 16, and he says, and you are Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. Uh, Or you may know the phrase Bar Mitzvah, it just means son of the covenant. Well, not only is Bartimaeus the only person who is healed, who is named, but Bartimaeus is the final or last person that is healed in the gospel. Uh, This is the final healing miracle. So why is he named? Uh, Well, it could just be, some have said, that Bartimaeus became a follower of Jesus afterwards, and it seems like that is the case. Uh, I'll argue that he's a model that we are to follow when it comes to discipleship and faith. And some have even said he may have been well-known in the early church. That's sometimes why people's names are recorded. Uh, And so it could be that churches that are circulating the Gospel of Mark in the early church actually knew Bartimaeus. And they heard about this story. Well, I think the reason is primarily because his faith is commended by Jesus. And anytime Jesus commends someone for their faith, we should pay attention to it. Bartimaeus, we don't know if he's born blind or became blind. Uh, The ESV translation that I read from, he asks, let me recover my sight, which makes it sound like he once could see and then went blind, but really that word could just be translated, let me receive sight. Uh, So it's neither here nor there, but it doesn't really add or take away from the story. Bartimaeus is sitting on the side of the road, uh, as he would. He's a beggar, totally dependent on the kindness of others to live. 
sitting on the side of the road. He probably would have sat in the same location every day because he couldn't work, and this was a a road well-traveled. And that's when he's there begging that he hears who it is that's passing by him. And in the Gospel of Luke, when he tells of this account, Luke 18, verse 36, uh, Luke actually says that the crowd, he heard the noise from the crowd, and so he wondered what it was. So I think this crowd is larger than what would have been anticipated from a normal pilgrimage. And so he's wondering what all the hustle and bustle is about, and he asks, and he finds out it is Jesus of Nazareth, which is an interesting identifier. It's only the second time that it's used in the gospel. The very first time happens to be from Jesus' very first miracle in the first chapter, and it's spoken by the lips of a demon. And so uh, Jesus is a very common name during that time. Uh, And so this identifier uh, identifies Jesus as that very same Jesus who has been working miracles. And this should be no surprise to us because even from that very first miracle, we read that Jesus' fame spread throughout all the regions of Judea. And you can basically just track as he travels around. His fame is being spread. He can't enter into towns openly, and then he's going out in the wilderness and teaching and feeding large crowds. And so just imagine for a moment being a blind beggar, and you're hearing stories about a man traveling around who is performing amazing miracles, healing lepers, casting out demons. Perhaps he even heard a story about Jesus healing another blind man. And then to know that that same Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, might be right in front of you in the middle of a large crowd. Point one, Bartimaeus cries in verses 47 through 48. What does Bartimaeus do? He cries out. And what's his cry? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This cry is... Uh, Not just a request for help, but his cry is a confession. Son of David. You know, Bartimaeus, this is not a comment about Jesus' family tree. Uh, Bartimaeus would have no way of knowing who Jesus' relatives were, I'm guessing. Uh, right? We we have Jesus' genealogy recorded in Matthew, but Bartimaeus wouldn't have had that. No, what Bartimaeus is doing is he is ascribing to Jesus the authority and position of the very servant of God, the descendant of David who was promised all the way back in 2 Samuel 7, who was known to reestablish, prophesied about to reestablish David's throne and reign for eternity. Here's what 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 14 says. This is the Lord speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is the son of David uh, that the prophet Ezekiel, hundreds of years later, told about, long after David was gone. Uh, This promise looked like it would initially be fulfilled in David's son Solomon, but Solomon falls utterly short, as you may know, gives his life over to sin. Uh, The people are 
exported out of the land and then they come back. Lots of things happen. But Jesus himself, from the lips of Bartimaeus, uh, he is confessed to be this very ruler, this fulfillment of all these prophecies. All of history has pointed to this Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus himself, when he goes into Jerusalem, he's going to go into the temple and teach. And he's going to teach and quote Psalm 110, verse 1. And uh, in that psalm, David is describing the Lord speaking to the Messiah. And he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And as Jesus is teaching this in the temple, he poses a question. How can he be David's son and yet David's Lord? And it says the people heard him gladly. Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus, about what he's done, possibly what he has taught. And he has no doubt whatsoever, based on the things he's heard about Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. This specific Jesus is the future king of Israel, the eternal king. Now, this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we read of someone who could be considered an outsider. He's not on the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He's an outsider making a kind of confession like this. These are also the only two times that that title, Son of David, is used in the book. Though in chapter 11, verse 10, David's kingdom is referred to as Jesus is entering. Verse 10 says, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. This is what people are saying about Jesus as he's entering in. Not only that, but Bartimaeus calls him rabbi. And that word there is actually rabuni, which is an exalted form of the word. Uh, it can be translated that same way, but when we look at how it's used in literature, it is rarely ever used to refer to a man, and it's almost always used to refer to God. Jesus is king. That's what Bartimaeus' confession is. What kind of king is he? He is a merciful king. Bartimaeus cries out asking for mercy, uh, despite the pressure from others to keep him quiet. He asks for mercy. And we know that from reading the story, what he means when he asks for mercy is he wants his sight back. But we should look at the very fact that he's making this request as proof that he believes that Jesus has the power to do it, whether or not Jesus actually does. Friends, I think that's what faith should look like. Part of having faith is knowing that God has the power to answer our prayer, whether or not he answers it the way we want him to or not. Now, this is not a, a formula to know how to get God to answer our prayers. Uh, it, it's not as though if we just, you know, believe hard enough, ask in the right way, then our prayers will be answered. But it is good and right when afflicted to in humility, ask God for mercy. He is a merciful God. Another application we can draw from Bartimaeus is that we should pray continuously. Notice Bartimaeus doesn't call out just once. He keeps on doing it, even though others are telling him to stop. And you know what's, uh, what's interesting is Bartimaeus, he doesn't really seem to give any hints that he expects to be healed, does he? 
Bartimaeus doesn't show that he's entitled to healing or mercy of any kind. Brothers and sisters, it's the same with us. Uh, The gospel says that, or the Bible says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God, being perfectly just and righteous, uh, will punish sin. And he's he's good in doing that. And so all that we have gained for ourselves is the punishment of God. Without mercy, that is our fate. But God, being rich in mercy, sent His Son Jesus to be the propitiation, to be the ransom for us. The man who sinned not at all in his life. Sinned no time so that He would be the perfect sacrifice and then raise from the dead three days later to show His power over death and to give us proof of the hope that we have beyond the grave. None of us deserve mercy, but have been shown it richly in Christ. Point two, Jesus stops. This is verse 49. Jesus stops. When Bartimaeus' cry reaches the ears of Jesus, he hears this amazing confession that no one else has said of him thus far. Just think for a second about what Jesus is stopping from. Remember, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, to Calvary, to the cross, The Son of Man, we read about just the first verse above verse 46. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. One with such high authority, so much power, and such an important mission stops for this lowly individual. There couldn't be a more important person with a more important task at hand And in the world's eyes, a less important person to stop for. And yet Jesus stops. Uh, He shows himself to be servant of all, slave of all, as he's been teaching his disciples. He, being the firstborn of all creation, shows himself to then serve who we would consider the last on earth. Just look at the way that others around Bartimaeus try to silence him. Uh, This man has nothing, no possessions. He contributes nothing to society. Uh, He only receives from others. He takes up space. He can't work. Physically, he's lower than everybody. He's not on the road going anywhere. He's sitting right there on the side of the road. And what do we learn from this? What we learn is that every life created in the image of God is dignified. I think we can often be tempted to uh, overvalue uh, what's happening among the masses. We get obsessed with statistics and seeing trends rise and fall. And at the same time, we can just forget about the individuals who are right around us. Uh, We all, of course, as Christians, we want to see Christianity grow and missions successful Uh, But how many of us are slow to try to get to know our neighbors or to share the gospel with people we work with? Uh, I read a statistic recently, and I don't know how true it is, but it basically said that uh, people who had Christian co-workers and Christian friends, the average was about three or four, uh, they said that their Christian friends rarely ever talked about their faith. Oh, friends, let that not be said of us. You know, something else we 
might take for granted today. Bartimaeus is shouting, most likely at the top of his lungs, uh, for any chance he can get with Jesus. Uh, But friends, we don't need to to do that. Uh, We don't need to hope that our cries will reach his ears. He hears us no matter where we are, under no matter what circumstance. We can cry out to God at any time. Uh, Kids in the room, did you know that you can talk to Jesus any time of day and that he knows exactly who you are? He knows the hairs on your head and he loves you. Don't hesitate to talk to Jesus. Another thing we can observe is just the fact that Jesus never refused mercy from anyone who asked for it in the gospel. Even the most lowly people we read about, when they call out for mercy, Jesus stops. You know, it's notable that the other time Jesus commends someone's faith, it was the bleeding woman who touched his garments to be healed, and he felt the power go out of him, and he turned around and asked, who touched me? Another lowly figure in the gospel, showing great faith. And so Jesus calls him. Jesus welcomes all who seek him and ask for mercy, Jesus instructs those who are around him, call him. Now, he could have just healed from a distance. We've seen him do things like that. He could have just said, inform the man he's been healed. And he could have continued on, not wasting any time. But Jesus wanted to meet the man. We worship an extremely personal God. He wanted to speak to the man face to face and allow him to voice his prayer requests. In verse 51. Point three, Bartimaeus comes. Bartimaeus comes in verse 50. What we see in Bartimaeus is that his faith in Jesus does not linger. Bartimaeus throws off his beggar's cloak, which if you were wondering, it's what beggars would lay down on the ground for uh, people to lay food on or money. They could pick it up easily uh, or they could at least have a general idea how much they had and that it wasn't getting lost on the ground. So he throws off his beggar's cloak. He jumps up and he goes to Jesus. You know, I couldn't help but wonder myself if Bartimaeus even expected to be heard by Jesus, if he even expected to be called over by him. It sounds like he is basically uh, at a last resort shouting out into a noisy crowd hoping he is heard. But imagine the joy after hearing the stories of what Jesus has done in all the area, hearing the miracles, to then know he might be right in front of you inside of the middle of a crowd, and you're crying out to him, and then you hear he actually wants to talk to you. Of course, the people telling him to stop changed what they were doing rather quickly. Friends, this is what faith looks like. It does not linger. And if faith looks like this, crying out to Jesus, running to him immediately, then what, what can we make of our lingering to go to Jesus in prayer? What do we say about our slowness or hesitancy to read God's word? Our slowness to believe the promises of God's word? Can, anything, can that be anything short of unbelief? You know, we think of unbelief as the kind of application 
or the kind of thing that only atheists and non-Christians struggle with. Uh, but friends, that's not true at all. I think everyone who calls himself a Christian in some way, shape, or form struggles with unbelief at some point in their life, and that's often what it looks like. We know the truths of Scripture. We know the promises of His Word, and yet sometimes we have a really hard time acting on them or believing in them. A friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, certainly, uh, I would say to examine yourself and think about what things are hindering you from going to Jesus. Whatever they are, they are not worth keeping to be thrown into hell. Whatever they are, are worth losing to gain forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. Consider doing that today. Faith, Jesus commends, the kind of faith of Bartimaeus, drops everything to come to him. And it doesn't allow anything else to get in the way. You know, the world may think that you're a fool for prioritizing uh, your faith. Uh, for, prioritize, for prioritizing Jesus in the things that you do. Uh, just like the bystanders were telling him to keep quiet, to settle down. Uh, the world will see these things as foolish. But friends, it's not. It's not. Is there something that is keeping you from going to Jesus? Uh, this would be like Bartimaeus. Just imagine if Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was calling him and then said, okay, hang on. I've almost met my quota for the day. I want to make sure that I get enough bread and have enough money for whatever journey we're about to go on. So I'm going to wait about 10 more minutes and then I'll come to Jesus. Tell Jesus to wait 10 more minutes. Could you imagine? That would be ridiculous. Uh, the Bible says that the Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. Uh, for members, uh, what hinders you? What gets in the way of spending time with Jesus in his word and in prayer? Some have said the kingdom is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate, in response to this passage. The kingdom is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Point four, Jesus speaks. Verses 51 and 52, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you when Bartimaeus comes to meet him? That's a strangely familiar question, isn't it? If it sounds familiar, it's because just in the previous paragraph, we heard Jesus ask that exact same question to his disciples, James and John. They wanted a favor from Jesus. So they said, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? But friends, the answers when Jesus asks this question could not be more different. What did James and John want? James and John wanted glory. They wanted the first and second position next to Jesus of authority. They wanted more than any of their fellow disciples. In fact, they wanted more than all the rest of humanity could have. What does Bartimaeus want? Bartimaeus wants something that all of the rest of humanity already has and takes for granted. He wants his sight. And that seems maybe obvious to us, but he could have asked for a lot of other things. He could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for food. You assume Jesus has these resources. He could have asked for status like James or John. But he simply asks for sight. 
This is the completely opposite of the rich young ruler we read about earlier in the book. Uh, The man who, by the looks of him, is exactly who you would want to be on your team, to be a disciple. He's wealthy. He's a ruler. He is doing his best to follow the commands of Jesus. He's first in society, you could say. And he ends up walking away from Jesus, not wanting to part with his possessions. Here, this blind beggar with nothing to offer, instead of asking, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He asks, have mercy. It's everything versus nothing. One man walks away from Jesus. The other walks away with Jesus. And Jesus commends this blind beggar. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. This time Jesus heals with a word. We've we've seen him in the past heal a blind person by touching their eyes. But this time he heals with a word. And he is healed instantly. And the words that Jesus uses can be maybe a little bit confusing when he says your faith has made you well. Jesus is not saying he's healed by his faith. He's saying he's healed because of his faith. It's not because he believed so fervently that he would be healed, but that he believed who Jesus was rightly, and he acted on that belief in humility. And so Jesus honors it. It's Jesus' power that heals him, but he heals him because of his faith. What does Bartimaeus do once he's healed? Jesus dismisses him and says, go on your way. Does he go back into the city to then experience all the things that he's missed out on in life up to this point? No, he remains with Jesus. He continues with him on the way to Jerusalem. And that leads to point five, Bartimaeus commended. This is in verse 52. And I've already said this, but I'll just say again, the fact that Jesus commends someone for their faith means we should see them as an example for us. And here we see in the life of Bartimaeus that faith comes from hearing, not seeing. Just think for a minute about the disciples and Bartimaeus, the differences between them. Uh, The disciples have seen everything that Jesus has done, all of his miracles. They've heard his teachings. Uh, They've been with him in person. They've even witnessed uh, his glory on the transfiguration. And yet over and over again, they completely miss the point. Things are hidden from them. And then here's Bartimaeus, who is unable to see anything. All he knows about Jesus is what he has heard. And he aligns that with his knowledge of Scripture. And he believes. How ironic Similarly, we are not able to see what Jesus did with our own eyes. We're not able to hear his voice coming from his lips the way the disciples were. But we do hear about Jesus' actions and miracles through the testimony of Scripture. We might as well be blind. But notice for Bartimaeus, it strengthened his faith. Friends, seeing is not believing and Faith is not blind. Bartimaeus' faith was based on his knowledge of the Old Testament. His faith was based on what he heard about Jesus. So if you want greater faith, consider knowing more Scripture. Listen carefully to His Word. 
and your faith will increase. Ultimately, faith is a gift from God, not an achievement of man. And the entire book points to that fact. We see it most clearly in the way that the disciples just continually fall short of what we would expect from them. Not only that, but Jesus' teachings have been completely radical up to this point. Jesus says to be a slave of all. He says the first shall be last. He says, set your mind on the things of God, not the things of man. And none of those things are really possible unless you have a changed heart. Our discipleship or our obedience to Christ can only occur with the help of the Holy Spirit first. Spiritually, we are all blind beggars receiving sight. Now, all of Jesus' miracles, I've said throughout uh, the book as we've gone through them, teach us something about spiritual realities as well. And here the spiritual reality is that the fact that the disciples' eyes physically work fine. But what did Jesus tell them in the boat? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? This was right in between Jesus healed a deaf man's ears and opened the eyes of a blind man. What is the Gospel of Mark teaching us? But the Holy Spirit gives sight. Not only that, but the word for healed has made you well. It's a word called sozo. And it's the same word that we would translate as saved or healed. So this verse could be translated, uh, your faith has saved you. That's certainly the case for Bartimaeus. But I think when it comes to his spiritual sight, he was saved before his eyes were opened physically. But in receiving his sight, he's able to show the fruits of discipleship in following Christ, no matter where that road leads, even if it leads to a cross. How else can we be sure that this isn't just a uh, face value healing, Jesus still is merciful, it would still be an amazing thing, without the underlying spiritual realities. Well, friends, I would just say that the Holy Spirit uh, knows what it's doing when it inspired Scripture. Uh, Think for a minute about this whole section from chapters 8 through 10, in which the disciples are being revealed to or exposed to divine revelation and then taught about discipleship. Peter, even at one point, rebukes Jesus for what he says. But what happened right before Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ? Jesus healed a blind man in stages. After stage one, the blind man said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And immediately after, Peter confesses, you are the Christ. And his idea about what that is is totally wrong. The disciples are beginning to see partially, but things are blurry. This whole section of discipleship begins and ends with the healing of a blind man. There's one other thing I want you to notice from this passage. Notice the change of location for Bartimaeus. When we meet him, he's on the side of the road, begging. When he leaves after he's healed, he is now on the way with Jesus. Jesus had given him a complete restoration, a new life. And he does that for us as well. 
uh, we have all been restored, received new hearts. It's the doctrine of regeneration that we often talk about. And friends, we too are on the way, like pilgrims. Only we're not going to the old city, Jerusalem, but to the new city, the new Zion. We live today knowing that beyond the grave awaits eternal, an eternal kingdom under the lordship of our merciful Savior, Jesus. You have heard this hope. You have received spiritual sight. Now continue on the way towards heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you empty-handed. On our own, we would have nothing to offer but filthy rags. But in your mercy, we can proclaim that Christ's blood has covered our sins. He has ransomed us. Lord, teach us to have faith like blind Bartimaeus. Have mercy on us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.